see this guy. I'm new here, so I don't know how things go. <laughs> don't worry. Your preaching's got you. It's so good to be home. There is no place like home. I will be reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. And if any man thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man loves God, the same is known of him. All right. Thank you, brother. It's good to be with you guys this morning inside the building or in cars or some of you who might hunt and find me online at some point. Welcome to the Eugene Church of Christ. We don't get it perfect, but we're sure trying. Because our Lord and Savior, he just calls us further on and deeper in. And uh, what a beautiful thing to pursue Jesus Christ with our lives. So to build, on, uh, build up our context for our lesson today, let's quickly review kind of some of the places we were this last week. Paul says, live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to you. Your circumstances are not the most important thing going on in your life. The most important thing is the call of God and the claim of God. And you need to live your faith in the reality of your current circumstances right now. And sometimes that's hard because our current circumstances might not be great. Paul understood that. Then he goes on to talk about things that can engross human life. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. So Paul is giving us an illustration here of things that can engross human life. We talked about those some last week. Uh, marriage can uh, engross our lives. Mourning and rejoicing, purchasing and business dealings. And we're not to become engrossed in these things. These are not to become what our life becomes all about. With God and Jesus is something just tacked on and uh, we give our scraps to. Uh, no, that call of God in our lives has to come before any circumstance that we happen to be in. For this world in its present form is passing away. Your marriage does not last for eternity. Your mourning, your rejoicing, your circumstances do not last for eternity. Uh, the stuff that you buy, uh, the, the interactions that you have, the things that you build up for yourself, none of that is going to last forever. So Paul's goal is not to restrict you from ever changing anything in your life circumstances. In fact, he tells us that. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That is the goal. The goal is what? Undivided devotion to the Lord. 
that needs to be superior to your circumstance. So whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're single again because you're divorced or because you're widowed or whatever, whatever your life circumstance that you happen to be in right now, Paul is not trying to restrict you. He's trying to invite you to consider the situation that is best going to allow you to have wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Change your circumstance as necessary. He's not restricting that. But do it for the purpose of moving closer to the heart of God. Do it for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Do it so that you move away from half-heartedness and split allegiance and double-mindedness and change your circumstances to allow you to serve the Lord with wholehearted devotion. That's what Paul is saying. That's what needs to be primary for us. And so now we get into the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now about food sacrifice to idols. Aren't you just so excited? Doesn't this title just grab your attention and it's just like you're thinking, wow, this is what I've been waiting to hear about. This is the most relevant and applicable thing I can imagine for my life today. Raise your hand if you have that thought. Why is no one raising their hand? So Paul, he's now about food sacrifice to idols. He's addressing this letter that the Corinthians wrote to him, asking for Paul's input into several issues. And that's why we'll see that Paul gives a series of quotes coming up. He's quoting from this letter that they sent to him that he's trying to address these circumstances. One of these circumstances is they want to know more about how do we handle this issue as it concerns food sacrifice to idols. So at first glance, we might be tempted to just kind of like, okay, well, this is one of the things that they dealt with back then, but this is not really important for us today. It's one of those weird cultural things that they had. Uh, It's not directly relevant But taking a closer look at these verses today, uh, I'm surprised just how relevant and practical these first few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 are. They are so helpful for me, I found. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we possess, we all possess knowledge. And then Paul says, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So what is the first thing that we learn about knowledge and about love? What do we learn about knowledge and love? Already in just that verse, we learn that their fruit is different the results in our life that they produce are different. Knowledge with the absence of love produces pride. 
So there's puffed up pride in the statement, we all possess knowledge. I think it's kind of written in the spirit of everybody who is anybody knows the right way to understand these issues. Come on now. I think that is kind of the heart behind what the, what the Corinthians were saying. Uh, meaning that with this issue of meat sacrificed to idols, we know that this is not really a big deal. It's, it's just food. And so already we see, just in this little verse, in, this, in the context that we have been traveling through, the toxic comparisons and spiritual pecking order that plagued this Corinthian church of those who have knowledge and those, well, they're sure trying. God bless them. But they're not the real deal. They're not the ones who really know. They don't have gifts like I do. They don't have eloquence like I have. They should know They should know, like I know, puff, 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 puffer fish. (coughs) I got to be careful about that. I got, I'm getting chubbier cheeks all the time. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. There are limits to knowledge. You can only go so far in the lane of knowledge, knowledge alone, before it gets congested and backed up and you're not making very good progress. You know the wide open HOV lane where things are flowing really well? It's the love lane. Love. It doesn't get congested the same way you alone with your knowledge that puffs up gets congested which will eventually trip up and hinder your progress in this life. Loving God is always going to get you further than the stuff that you think you know. Loving God is always going to take you further than what you think you understand and what you're right about. I'm right. And you may know a lot. There's some smart people in this room. There's people in this room who are smarter than I am. It's hard for me to admit. But the only knowledge that really matters is that God knows you and that you love God. Paul is talking about the completion of knowledge that is found in Jesus Christ. But if all you have is knowledge that puffs up, you don't see the stumbling blocks you're making for other people around you. Jesus talked about this exact same thing. 
Jesus talked about it. Um, in Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. They're doing all the stuff of Jesus, but they do not know him. They don't know him in the right way. They don't know him in a way that will save. The completion of knowledge is not what you know. It is who you know, who you love. Now, I, I'm not, the, the phrase, what, it's not what you know, it's who you know, is not original to Calvin. Uh, but the completion of knowledge tied to that, it, it's not the smarts, it's the heart. That's what Paul is getting at. So, I'm just, possibly, Calvin put these things together in a new way. Probably not. Come on, I'm just trying to puff up Calvin a little bit, guys. Thanks for the Snickers, people who love me. If you really love me, you would laugh at my jokes. <laughs> the completion of knowledge, it finds itself expressed most fully in love of God and full, de full devotion to Him. That is the knowledge that we need. That is the knowledge that will save this world and save ourselves, save those around us. Loving God. So Paul frames the entire discussion of this issue. And the wonderful thing that is so applicable about this se section is it doesn't have to be just meat sacrifice to idols. You can plug other issues into this. Love of God is the completion of knowledge when it comes to all the stuff you think you know and you're right about. Is it puffing up or is it building up? That's the litmus test that matters. So it's true that uh, meat sacrifice to idols, it's maybe not immediately relevant to us in the same way that it was for the Corinthians. We understand that. We get that. But Paul's words very much address the spirit in which we hold on to our knowledge, the knowledge that we think we have. Paul is giving us guidelines on the spirit in which we are to approach the issues and the knowledge that we have. And especially, probably, issues where we may have differences of opinion. And so, as you consider this kind of knowledge, what Paul is talking about, I think these are some of the most relevant verses there are when it comes to issues of Christian unity, when it comes to issues of discipleship, the way in which we share the truth and present the truth as we understand it best needs to come from this place of humility. It needs to come, to the, come from this place of building up rather than puffing up. 
Oh, that guy's so smart. Oh, he knows. We'll look to him for the answers. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. This is an early verse where Jesus is being elevated and understood as he is God. There's God the Father, and then it's also through Jesus Christ that all things come to be and through whom we live, which he builds later on in uh, his letter to uh, Colossians. So there have been three quotes from this Corinthian letter to Paul. It's either in this letter or things that the Corinthians had said and he heard in person. The knowledge that the Corinthians claim to possess. Here's their knowledge. We know that we have all knowledge, number one. Number two, we know that an idol is nothing. Number three, there is no God but one. There's a lot of truth in these, actually. And Paul doesn't even dispute that there is truth that's found in these things. But it's not a complete truth. So based on what they think they know, they say, therefore, based on this knowledge, I have the right to go to pagan temples. I have the right to go eat idol meat. Idol meat. Man flesh. I don't... Sorry. Lord of the Rings thing popping out. Idol meat. I have the right to do this. No one can stop me. Because I'm free in Christ. That is the argument that's being made. But there's a completion to knowledge here. In 8.7, we all know, everyone who's anybody knows the right way to view this issue. Paul says, not everyone has this knowledge. And that knowledge is crushing your brother. Have you thought about your brother? We know that an idol is nothing, which is true. But Paul says later on, demons are tied to the sacrifices made to idols. It's not as benign and innocent as you make it out to be. And that is true. There is no God but one. But our God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share your allegiance with others. And so Paul says, you cannot mix the the Lord's table with the table of demons. Those things do not go together. Yes, there is no God but one. But because that is true, everything that follows changes. There's truth in what the Corinthians are saying. But that truth is incomplete because it hasn't brought them into love of God and love of their brothers the way it needs to. Paul goes on to explain, 
Not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Paul immediately brings an awareness of others in the church, others who are freshly out of a pagan lifestyle. They're freshly out of really worldly ways of living. Things that were so horrible that they went through that they have had to cut off that old life completely. And they're not able to just drift out of it. They need a scorched earth approach to the paganism that they had in the past. So these new Christians, they've counted the cost. They have drawn the lines in the sand. They've walked away from that old life for the love of Jesus Christ. And then imagine one day they're walking by their old temple and they look in and they see older and more mature Christians there who they look up to. Sitting back, eating meat, laughing and having fellowship with their old pagan buddies. Can you see how that would be difficult for them to understand that? Can you see how that would be confusing to someone who is new in their faith? Paul readily says, it's not about the food. Food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do do not eat and no better if we do. The issue is not the food itself. The issue is the associations surrounding the food, the context where that food is being eaten, the consideration mostly of how is this affecting my brother and sister in Christ. So how do I give us more of a modern example? And this isn't a perfect analogy. But say there's a brother or sister who has a problem with alcohol, alcohol consumption. It has associations from their past life. They used alcohol in such a way that they are running from things and trying to hide from things. Alcohol, drugs, whatever, you fill in the blank. And they have never been able to control their drinking. They can't just have a beer or two. It always turns into way too many. One or two always leads to eight, ten, twelve pack all on your own within a few hours, whatever it is. It's never just a glass of wine. It's a glass of wine and dot, dot, dot. And so they repent and they walk away from that and all that represents. They cut it out of their life completely. They don't touch it anymore because they know that they are playing with fire. And then one day they happen to walk by their old sports bar and much to their surprise, they see their elders and a minister sharing a pitcher of beer. 
And one of the elders calls out to this younger Christian walking by, hey, come and join us. And then they notice the younger Christian hesitate. And they say, hey, it's okay. It's no big deal. It's just a beer. It may very well be no big deal for an older, more disciplined disciplined Christian to have a few sips of beer. But who is it a big deal for? It's a very big deal for the person who drew a line in the sand for love of Christ and is now being shown that the lines that they have drawn, they don't matter. And I find this convicting because I haven't always done this right and I haven't always gotten this right. That's, that's me just making up an example. By the way, just so you know, I've never seen your elders in a sports bar sharing a pitcher of beer. You know what I have seen your elders do? I have seen them pray for every person in this room by name. Well, for a little historical context, uh, back in Paul's day, back in ancient Corinth, eating meat was not necessarily an everyday thing for most people. Uh, You could buy meat in the market, probably be impossible to find meat to purchase that had not been sacrificed in some way. So in Paul's day, these pagan temples, they would have these sacrifices. They'd even sell vouchers beforehand. You could buy tickets to go get your little portion of meat ahead of time. Many of the temples of that day had dedicated eating areas where they would consume these sacrifices. And so practically speaking, in the ancient world, this is one of the closest things you could find to a cafeteria or a restaurant. You know, you may be able to find meals at an end or hire someone to cook for you or something like that. But as far as a public gathering place that you can kind of just kind of show up and get your meat. So you can imagine that this was just a normal thing in their day and their time. It's just kind of what you had to do to eat meat. A fairly benign act for most people. They don't care about the paganism stuff. They don't care about that funny business. You just thought that barbecue brisket smelled real good when you walked by. And that's the motivation. I put brisket in there because I really like brisket. Any of you guys like brisket? Jeremy does. Oh, Brenda. Okay. Jeremy, give me two hands. That's hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for brisket. That's what that means. Paul says... The consideration needs to be bigger than this. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block for the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? 
So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. So the first thing that we've learned already in these verses about knowledge is that it's capable of puffing you up. It's capable of building pride. When our smarts that we think we have, it grows pride. It's self-congratulatory. It's self-sufficient. It differentiates us from the people around us. Okay, I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but thank you, Lord, that I'm smarter than that guy. This kind of spiritual pecking order kind of stuff. Knowledge will do that in the absence of love. It blinds you to a consideration of the people around you. Knowledge without love will blind you to the ramifications of the things that you're doing. You don't even consider your brother. You don't even think about that. So not only does love or does knowledge puff up, it is capable of destroying You ever think about the things you know, how they are capable of harming other people? I think about it all the time. I think about it because I am obliged in the role that I'm in to speak truth to the best of my knowledge as I understand it. And some of those words are hard words to swallow. And they call out all of this stuff that's in us. And we have to let the truth speak. We have to. But the truth in our hands, if we're not careful, it can just be a club to destroy the faith of other people. You're not alone with Jesus in the boat. Everywhere Jesus goes, he takes his whole family with him. Those who are smarter than you, those who are not. You know, it's some of the earliest sins we have recorded. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? That is the original, you do you and I'll do me statement. But the truth is, in Jesus Christ, you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. Your considerations have to be for something bigger than you alone on a desert island with the Lord. You are your brother's keeper, not to manipulate them, not to control them, not to rub their nose in all of their failures, but to help them, to encourage them, to speak truth as you understand it, to pray for, to share your life with them, 
And definitely, you can do it in such a way that you are not a stumbling block for them. Paul is inviting us to a place where your consideration needs to be bigger than just you alone with Jesus. So in the way you are living your Christian life, how are you helping your brother or sister? How are your freedoms in Christ potentially harming your brother or sister? How many of the things that you think you know may actually be feeding you in some puffed-up ways? How may your need to be right and have everyone else know that you are right, how may that actually be harming the Lord's church? And I've seen people use these verses in a way that it's kind of funny. So something that we think is as short aside, as benign as translations of the Bible. So my first time where I really was in a big blow-up about what's the right translation to be using, um, I was at, with the World English Institute, and I went on this mission trip to Albania. I was a young kid, 19 or so. And uh, one of the people on this trip, they were sharing that the only correct version to use of the Scripture is the King James Version. And these are the reasons why all the rest of you are wrong. And these are the reasons why you should not... And I remember the missionary there in Albania, uh, a guy from uh, New Zealand, I think, they had it out, and they took it to task. And finally, this guy who said, no, it's only King James, the only right way that we know, wink, wink, is King James. This, after this missionary just kind of took him to task with that, he said, well, it may be that I am the weaker brother, but that means you need to do what I say or do what I want. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's manipulation. That's giving up on love for the sake of trying to win an argument. Do you get that? I'm not picking on people who love the King James Version, just so you know. For some of us, that language is beautiful. It's, it's akin to poetry to us. It just opens up the Word of God in such a way that it just touches our heart and we love it. And others might think, no, this language is archaic. I don't get it at all. Give me the NIV, because then I understand it, and I see the beauty of the meaning in different ways. And maybe sometimes it's the message for a verse that just helps open that to you and explore that. The ways in which we hold our knowledge... It can do a lot of good, or there can be harm that's done. Is there a blindness to your brother or sister? I know I'm beating a dead horse here a little bit, but that is because what I have seen in the churches of Christ that I have lived my whole life in 
is that there have been times where our brotherhood has been plagued with people who are willing to give up on love for the sake of winning an argument, and it breaks my heart. And sometimes I have been that person. See, what Paul is talking about here, it's not something malicious. It's just a group of spiritual elites who are so focused on their own rights and their own freedoms that they just don't even think about their brother. But Paul says this, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Remember what Jesus said about the sheep and the goats? Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. That is the whole point of that parable of the sheep or goats. Who are you not seeing? Who are you not seeing? So Paul reaches this conclusion. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother and sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. If this is really the issue that would allow me to not be a stumbling block to my brother or sister, okay, then sign me up, Paul is saying. I'll go figure out how to do this. I love meat. How do you give up meat? For the love of Christ, maybe I'll have to figure that out. Jonathan maybe can give me some tips. How do I let go of meat, Jonathan? Jonathan's a vegetarian. Sorry, I'm calling you out, brother. (laughs) Thumbs up back there. You have a responsibility to the body of Christ. You have a responsibility implied in these texts that you help disciple a brother or sister to a place where the freedoms that you have in Christ are not becoming a stumbling block that hinders them. You don't have to agree on everything 100%. You don't have to see every issue exactly the same way but you have to come to a relational understanding that is so focused on the love of God that it removes the barriers that can exist between you. You can use your knowledge to bulldoze over other people. People can use their knowledge to drive people out of the church and not even lose a night's sleep about it. Because there's no love in those actions. That is incomplete knowledge. The fullness of love, it is the completion of knowledge. One of the hardest things there is, is to be right about something and not harm others with it. 
So, Dad, you can come up here. That's our lesson for us to consider this morning. So I want to close with these first three verses of the eighth chapter again. Because if these would just be applied universally to every issue we face, to everything we think we know, it will change things. It will transform our circumstances around us. Knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. If God knows you, and God knows that you love him, is there any other knowledge that really matters in the end? This is the only knowledge that is complete and that will save you. So if you have needs for prayers in this church, if you want to put the Lord on in baptism, uh, if there's some way that we can help you, I'm going to be right up here and you can let me know that as we go ahead and stand and sing together.